Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please do get in touch at hello at hopeharrogate.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Guys, but we are continuing uh, with our, our series in Nehemiah, and uh, it's uh, called Building a Community of Hope. Hopefully we've got a picture. There we go. You can see me now. So uh, continuing to uh, go through Nehemiah, building a community hope. Adam did a great job last week uh, introducing the series. Please catch up with it if you've not uh, had a chance. It's a really important overview of where we're going. Um, but let me continue with the story uh, by starting with a story. Uh, a long time ago, uh, I spent some months in Kenya. Uh, I was uh, there to really add a job advising as an advisor to a team that was working uh, in a really remote area. Uh, and they flew me in by helicopter into the middle of nowhere uh, to join this team and dropped in their camp. I was dropped just before uh, dark and I joined the team for dinner. And as we're eating over here, one of them telling me or telling a story. And um, uh, it was about how a few weeks before a pair of lions had uh, walked through the camp and started fighting right really there where we were now sitting eating uh, and to be honest it's not the greatest way to put someone at ease on their first night with them uh, and so I go back to my tent and you know I do up the door of my tent really well that night because a tent's going to stop a line right uh, and I sit on the edge of my camp cot and I should have been thinking about preparing for the job that I had been called there to do uh, I should that should have been my focus uh, but it was at that point that the roaring started. And let me tell you, when you're on your own, in a flimsy tent, in the middle of the African bush, and it's pitch black outside, and you hear a lion roaring near your tent, you stop thinking about what you've been called there to do really quickly. And instead you start thinking about how you're gonna get through the night without becoming lion food. Roar! I'm sure he was really right outside my tent. But you know what, when, when the sun came up the next morning, things just looked so different. When the sun came up and I stuck my head out of the tent, I noticed something that, that I hadn't really been aware of, I wasn't aware of when the lions were roaring in the dark. What, what I saw was that someone at some point had put multiple coils uh, of razor wire all around our camp. I hadn't seen them in the dark, I'd missed them the night before, but as the sun rose, it changed my perspective. I realized that all night those lions had actually been outside the wire, nowhere near my tent. Well, think about it, I could have focused all along on what I'd been called there to do, despite the darkness, despite the roaring, if only I'd had the daylight perspective the night before. If only I'd had the bigger picture of what was really going on. And you can translate that story to some degree to our spiritual lives. You see, I know that if I don't have the correct perspective of who God is and what he's done and what he's doing in the world today, then when I face those darker times in life, when it feels like I'm in the middle of nowhere, when it feels like there's problems in life, uh, the problems are perhaps starting to roar around me, prowl around my tent, I can get distracted and disrupted from what God's called me to do. I can get distracted from my primary calling as a Christian, that is, to love God with all my soul, with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, to, to love other people like he's loved me. I can get distracted from that. And I don't know about you, but I know in the last you know, few months, last six months, there's there's been moments where I've not lived out that calling well. There, there's been moments when 
it almost seems like maybe I don't love God or love others. Anyone else know what that feels like over the last six months? What do we do about it? Nehemiah's got some good news for us today. He's got a good answer for us today. And he's going to show us that God's given us everything we need, friends, to live a godly life. Even when we can't see it. Even when we can't see a way out of the problems we're facing. So I want to read uh, chapter 1, verse 4 onwards uh, uh, together from 5 to 11. Uh, We're going to look at that. But you'll remember, first of all, that the the first three verses that we looked at last week, we saw that uh, Nehemiah's got some friends. They've come back from Judea and they tell Nehemiah about the awful state that Jerusalem's in. Uh, And Nehemiah is totally wrecked by this news. Uh, In those first three verses, God's like ignited his heart with a, a compassion and a hunger to restore the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. Nehemiah has a calling from God. Let's read it. Uh, in verse uh, from verse uh, four. When I heard these things, this is Nehemiah, his memoirs, he's writing them down. When I when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for his servants, the people of Israel. Lord, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Friends, before we get into this amazing prayer, just just want you to have a think about the obstacles in the way of Nehemiah living out his calling to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, First of all, uh, he's not a free man. He's an he's in exile. Uh, he's a captive cupbearer to one of the most powerful kings in history. Uh, he wasn't a free man. Uh, on top of that, he's got responsibilities. I mean, he can't just walk away from, from them. He, he's the cupbearer to the king. He, the king's not just going to let him waltz off to fix a wall. So he's not a free man. He's got responsibilities. But there's also the small obstacle that's called the Babylonian law. You see, in the book before Nehemiah, we read in Ezra chapter four that the king had actually made a ruling already that the walls of Jerusalem could not be rebuilt unless he said so. So Nehemiah is not a free man. He's got responsibilities and the laws against him. But there's also more. Do you know how far it is from where they are to Jerusalem? It's about 900 miles. They reckon it's a three month journey and it's a dangerous journey. Uh, And I mean, how's he going to get there? Even if he does, he's how's he going to rebuild a city? He's got no resources. Where's he going to get those from? He's got nothing. There's a lot of problems piling up in the way of his calling, isn't there? But what's Nehemiah's response? I love his 
default response is to get before God in prayer. I wonder what unscalable circumstances do you see filling your perspective right now, friends? Perhaps like Nehemiah, you have to face something or someone in authority over you this week and it's left you full of fear. Or perhaps there's there's an overbearing sense of responsibility in, in one area or another in your life and it's distracting you from living out your calling to love God and love the people around you. Or maybe you feel like the very system itself is against you and your dreams, they just feel so far out of reach. Or there's just a huge lack of resources right now and you wonder how is it possible to trust God in all of this? Friends, what, whatever it is, I want to encourage us, all of us, to respond like Nehemiah does. Nehemiah's default response when faced with all these obstacles in the way of his calling is to remind himself in prayer of the correct perspective, the correct perspective of who God is. Why does he do that? Why? This is why. This is why he does it, and it's the main point for us today. If we want to do what God says, friends, we need to see who God is. If you if you try to do what God says without really seeing who God is, do you know what happens? What happens is you just turn faith into religion. And religion does not lead to life. But that's not Nehemiah's response. You see, in his prayer, we see Nehemiah has what you could call a 4G perspective of who God is. So you see, he starts his prayer in verse 5 by reminding himself that God is a gracious God. God is a gracious God. He starts his prayer saying, Lord, the God of heaven. Now, the God of heaven is a glorious God. We see this in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. It's uh, Isaiah's vision of heaven. And he says that the God of heaven is seated on the throne and the angels are crying out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The God of heaven is glorious. What does that mean, though? Well, it's when all the beauty of God, all his strength, all his holiness, all his love, all his creativity, all his power, when all the indescribable value of God is put on display, that's his glory. The whole earth is meant to radiate his glory. We're meant to radiate his glory. The question is, do you see it? How do we know if you have a glorious God perspective? Well, if you have a, a, the, the correct perspective, then you'll also know You'll know that the fear of God in your life. When you see the, that God is a glorious God, it should, it should generate this healthy fear of God in your life. It, it, when I see God is as glorious, it generates a healthy fear in my life. Now, I'm not saying that I'm scared of God, but I'm like, wow, God, you are so awesome. You are so glorious. Now I understand why God, why it says in Romans 8, if God is for me, then who can be against me? Wow. Nehemiah here, he's just reminding himself, he's reminding himself of God's glory so that the fear of a, a mighty king of Babylon is replaced by the trust in a mightier God of heaven. Now, if you don't have a glorious perspective of God, you'll fear man instead of God. And that's not our calling. It's not mine. It's not yours. You see, you can go look at Matthew chapter 10 later and you'll see that Jesus tells us not to fear man, but to fear God. Do you want to do what Jesus says? Do you want to do what God says? 
then we need to see who God is. God is a glorious God. So this week, if you are, are faced with very, uh, you know, very real fears of expectations of other people or the desire of approval from others, from people around you, then I want to say, go put God next to them in your mind's eye for comparison. Allow, allow God to remind you in your spirit as you pray of his glorious nature. You'll find that the fear of people evaporates. It won't stand up against the glory of God. So God is glorious, but he's also a great God. He's also a great God. Nehemiah is continuing in verse five, saying that the God of heaven is a great God. And one of my favorite verses for this is Isaiah uh, 55, eight, nine. And it says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my, way, your, my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Think about that. Wow, God, you're so, so much bigger than us. God's so much bigger than we are. I love the way uh, we see in the gospel accounts, we see Jesus um, going through story after story of, 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 of him dealing with people in fear. He, he dealt with the fear of running out of wine. He dealt with the fear of people dying in storms on lakes, the fear of sick and broken bodies. He dealt with the fear of demon possession, even death itself. All those stories, they aren't trying to tell us that we won't face tough times in our life. They're trying to tell us that, that God is a God who's ultimately in control and that even death won't have the last word because death is defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? God is in control. He's the great God. So how do we know if we have a great God perspective? Well, when we have the great God perspective, we don't have to be in control because he's in control. You see, this prayer that Nehemiah is praying is Nehemiah trusting that God is in control of the call to build the wall of Jerusalem, to provide the favor that he needs, the protection that he needs, the resources that he needs. And it's the same for your call in your life. You don't have to fight to keep control of your future, of your security, of your provision, because Jesus is the great God and he knows what you need to live a godly life. That's why in uh, John 14, it says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. How do we do what Jesus says? How do we do what God says? We need to see who God is. He's a great God. So God is glorious, God is great, but Nehemiah also knows that God is a good God. He's a good God, friends. He's carrying um, on in verse five as he prays and he says, God is an awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I mean, doesn't that sound good? God is a God of love, friends. He's made a covenant with you. He's gonna keep his covenant. The problem is, is that God's people at that time had forgotten that promise. They hadn't kept their side of the covenant. They hadn't kept God's commandments. They weren't worshiping God. But despite that, Nehemiah still has hope in his God, in the goodness of his God. So much so that when we get to verse nine, he speaks of, a, of this big God promise. The promise that he'll gather his people from the furthest horizon if only they would return to worship him and obey his commands. Nehemiah has a good God perspective. Right. 
How do we know if we have a good God perspective? Well, if we have a good God perspective, when we go to Jesus, we go to him to satisfy our longings and our desires in every area of our life. Friends, that's what we call worship. You see, worship isn't just singing a few songs on a Sunday morning. It's more than that. It's It's an attitude of our hearts that we actually live out. See, worship is 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 about what you desire the most like what do we desire the most what do you desire the most is it jesus it's a good thing to ask ourselves and check ourselves on are we are we going to jesus to satisfy the longings in our hearts or are we are we trying to satisfy our desires elsewhere in the pursuit of that comfortable middle life life uh uh, middle-class life perhaps those things that we really want that car that relationship that job that experience that reputation because every time we go to god instead to satisfy those real longings in our hearts that's real worship but we can only do that if we have a good God perspective, because the world is full of seduction, isn't it? Full of things that promise that they will satisfy our desires, but none of them, even the good things, and many of them are good, even the good things, none of them can satisfy us. Not in a true and a lasting way. Only Jesus can do that. You know, when I'm struggling with this, um, there's two Psalms that I find really helpful to meditate on. Um, You might want to note them down. You might want to use them this week to pray through uh, with God. Uh, First one is this, Psalm 107, uh, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. What a promise, Hope Church. He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Thank you, Jesus. How about this one? Psalm 16, uh, 16, verse 11. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, not just for some time, but forever. Friends, that's where I want to be. The presence of God with his fullness of joy, where there's pleasures forevermore. So God is glorious. He's great. He's good. And finally, we see that Nehemiah knows that God is a gracious God. It's in verse six and seven, we, we saw how Nehemiah confidently approaches God. Do you remember him coming and confessing his sin, the sins of his family before God? Nehemiah knows that God is a gracious God. Uh, it's Psalm uh, 145 verse eight that says, the Lord, man, the Lord is a gracious and compassionate God. Friends, he's slow to anger and he's rich in love. That's what Nehemiah is putting his trust in right there. How do we know if we have a gracious God perspective? You'll know because you'll come to God as you are, with all your mess, all your mistakes, all your rough edges. And we see God as gracious, friends. We we don't need to strive to prove ourselves good enough to God or to anyone else. That, that, That only happens when you have the wrong perspective of God, when you don't see God as gracious. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't feel like I've been a very good Christian, Pete. And it just really grieves me. It really grieves me because they've missed that God is a gracious God. And he's gracious towards them. And his heart is one that is positioned towards them with, with love and grace. 
And if that's you, if that's ever, if it's ever something you've said out loud or something you thought, then let me just remind you that Jesus, he loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to pay the consequences for all the messy choices in your life, all the selfishness, all the, all the regrets that you might have right now in life. Jesus' death paid for it all, once and for all. All of that stuff is no longer held against you by God. He's not keeping some sort of little black book with a record in it to remind you of one day. Now, the Bible says you are completely new. You are a completely new creation if you've put your trust in Jesus. If you've put your trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life, you have nothing to prove to a gracious God. So run to him this morning, friends. Let's run to him. Let's confess where we're at. If you've messed up this week, don't hold back. Just run to him like, like Nehemiah did. Run to him in prayer. God won't hold himself back from you. He won't hold a grudge from you. He won't look down on you. No, he'll think the best of you and he'll lift you up from where you are. I know because Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. What a promise. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Do you need that? Do you want that? Do you want to do what Jesus says? Do you want to do what God says? And then you need to see who God is. God is a gracious God, friends. And because God is this, this gracious God, as I come to a close, we need to we need to really understand this. You do not need to try harder. You do not need to work harder at getting a bigger perspective of who God is this morning. It is a gift. It's a gift of grace itself that reveals it to us. It's like it's like that sunlight that, that came up in the morning in the African lion story I started with. I didn't have to do anything in that moment. The morning light revealed the bigger perspective to me and it allowed me to live through the next dark night and the next dark night in peace. See, grace is a free gift to us. Don't strive to see more of God this morning. Let's just ask him to show us more. And he will. So this morning, if you, if you need a fresh perspective of who God is in your life, and I want to suggest that there is always more of God to know and see, so that's all of us. But if you recognize the roaring of problems and worries in your life that are distracting you from, from your calling to love God and to love others, then let's go to God together. Let's ask him to show us more of Jesus. And I believe he will. The Holy Spirit, the one who, uh, who Jesus called the spirit of truth, the one who made his home in us, he's made his home in you. If you know Jesus this morning, just remind yourself the spirit of God is in you. He will reveal more of that truth to us. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. Uh, and I'm going to hand back to Pete and Justin just to close our time on, on YouTube before we go to our Sunday communities and pray uh, for each other. And what I want to do is, is, is this. What I want to do is this. I want us to respond uh, together in, in prayer together. I want us to respond in prayers that, that speak of who God is. Let's remind each other in our prayers as we pray out about God's glory, about his greatness, about his goodness, about his compassion. I, I want to encourage you. It doesn't have to be long prayers. It can be a simple, God, you are good. That, that, is, a, that is a good thing for us to remind each other. Uh, you might want to uh, grab your Bible if you would like some more help. Grab a Bible, open it to Psalms, find one that speaks about who God is as the gracious God, the good God, the, uh, the, the, the great God, the glorious God. Find one, read it out as your prayer. And then let's finish our time together 
uh, by praying over each other, asking the Holy Spirit to give us an increased perspective of Jesus this week. And some of you might actually want to ask for prayer specifically in one of those areas. And, you know, if you know God's been prodding you today in one particular area, then let people know if you feel comfortable doing that. I'm going to say to my group, hey, I need a bigger perspective of God's glory the God of glory. I need a bigger perspective because I, I spend too much time, friends, still fearing what other people think. Like, can you pray for me? That's going to be my request. You might want to do something similar. So just to be clear, uh, when you, you get to the breakout rooms, let's worship God together. Let's remind him in uh, ourselves through prayer who God is. Uh, and then let's pray for each other, for the Holy Spirit to help us know that truth in greater measure this week. I'm going to pray and then let's hand I'll hand over to Pete and Justine. Why don't we just pray together? Uh, Father, we thank you that you are with us by your spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you've given us access to, to, to you, to, to the Father. We thank you, Lord, that you are a glorious God. We thank you, you are a great God. We thank you, you are a good God. We thank you, you are a gracious God. And the Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would come and you would increase uh, in us, that perspective is that as we go, Lord, to these rooms, uh, our Sunday communities, that you would you would meet us now as we worship you. Lord, we say as a, your people, Lord, forgive us where we have uh, allowed the, the things of this world to distract us from the reality of your greatness, your goodness, your glorious nature, your gracious love towards us. Lord, forgive us. And the Holy Spirit, come and fill us again, we pray. Amen.